You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Morning, church. Morning. How are y'all? That's what I'm talking about. Good to see you. All right, Miss Maggie is in the house. That's what I'm talking about. Well, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Mike Cooper. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to share God's word with you this morning. Pastor Chris and the team are still in Zimbabwe. They will be flying back, I believe, Tuesday. And so please be praying for them as they travel back. I think it only took them like two weeks to fly there. It seemed like I was getting notices like day after day after day for them to travel to, to Africa. And so please be praying for them as they, as they head back this way. Well, just like Amy said, we're finishing up a series on how to study the Bible. And this morning we are looking at the topic of prayer. And I'm sure your prayer life is maybe a whole lot better than mine. If there's one thing, one area in my life that I feel like I could improve on, it is probably the area of prayer. I know that we're supposed to pray. I know the passages in First Thessalonians say pray continually. I know all those things. I've heard all those things for a lot of years, but it's, it's still not where I think it should be in my life, Does that, if that makes sense. Like I can, I can have a devotional, and I can read through the devotional, and there's an end of the book of the devotional, and I can say, hey, I accomplished that. Or there's a read through the Bible chart, and I read through the Bible, and I check all the boxes, and I can say at the end of the year I've completed that. But when it comes to prayer, there's, there's this kind of ambiguous kind of, well, is it, is it enough? Is it right? Is it whatever? And so we're going to look at this morning a little bit about prayer and what I believe God's Word uh, wants to show us. Maybe some things that you've heard before probably, but maybe need to be reminded of. And so we're going to look at... This passage in kind of a how to study this passage and what it what it meant to the readers and the hearers of that particular day and then what it means for us today. And so when I started studying the Bible, I heard a, one of my, it was my youth pastor. He kind of had the five questions when it comes to how to study your Bible, the who, what, when, why and where. And so when you're reading the passage or whether it's a verse or it's a section of scripture, you ask yourself those questions. If you're if you have everybody has a journal now or if you don't have a journal, you can get a journal before you leave. If you don't have one, ladies, there's a turquoise journal out here for you guys. Guess what color yours is blue. Oh, is it is it red? OK, it could be. I, I thought it was blue. <laughs> Apparently there's multiple colors. And guys, if you want a turquoise one, cool. They're, they're pretty. So anyway, grab one if you don't have one. But in your, in your program this morning, you should have some notes for you to take some notes. I still have note journals that I have probably 25, 30, even 35 years ago. That sounds a long time. You know, you're getting old when you can say that you can remember something that happened 35 years ago or you have something that's 35 years old. Well, I'm officially old. So anyway, you have these journals now to be able to take notes. And so you ask yourself those questions, who, what, when, why, and where, who wrote this particular passage, who is he writing to, what is the theme, what is the topic, when, where is it, those kind of things. And so before too long, after you start taking some notes, then you kind of have this little memory that gets jogged when you hear about the book of James or whatever particular passage that you're studying because you've spent some time in that. You know who wrote it because you, 
you, you, you studied it, you researched it, you wrote it down, you know what the theme is, you know who he's writing to or whatever it is. And so you just basically have a, a, a more of a working knowledge of what this particular verse is or this passage or this book. And so that's the whole gist of why Chris really wanted us to understand what it meant to study God's word. We get a chance to study this. Okay, so, well, 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 yeah, we get a chance to study this. I worked in an environment for a lot of years in a prison system where I told the men over and over and over again, you will never have an opportunity to study God's word like you have right now. You have time upon time upon time to study God's word. For us that are in what we call the free world, um, apart from prison life, we have responsibilities, we have jobs, we have all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's really, really important that we're strategic with our time with God's Word and how to study it, how to get the most out of our time to be efficient. And so that's what Chris envisioned when, when the Spirit of God laid it on his heart for us to study the Bible. And so that's why we're doing that this morning. And we're going to look at a particular passage in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there. Please, I'm reading out of the NIV. Again, Chris challenged us to, to maybe look at some different versions. The, the New American Standard, the King James, New King James, New Living, the Message. You can pull all those up on your Bible app or online just to kind of get a different sense of what the writer is. Some translate word for word, some phrase by phrase. But we're going to be reading out of the NIV this morning. So if you would, please follow along. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says, is anyone of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Maybe he's praying in Texas right now because we need some rain. Uh, again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sin. And so when we're looking at studying God's word, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is, is not to pick a, a passage that's real long, that's real lengthy, because there's a lot of stuff in there. So be strategic with what you're studying. So if you pick a section in my Bible, it's just a little bitty section that has, it has a little title on there, kind of gives you the, the topic, what it's about. Take that little section and then just kind of read through it. And some words that may stand out, some things that may pop out to you, those are the things that I would encourage you to study. And it's just a great place to start. And so what I want to do is just kind of give you an example of how you might do this. And so I see in verse 16 some key words like prayer. I see key words like righteous, effective, and powerful. And so those are some things that I would hit on. Those are some things that I would, would be strategic on. Doing some research on, Googling it. You say, well, 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 let's just write those things down and then let's start with a definition. I go to Webster, I go to Google, whatever it is, and I just, I Google what that is. Or if you have a Bible dictionary, you can pull those things out. Whatever tool you have, 
just use it to, to, to pull up a definition, to pull up the, the history, the, the context, whatever it is. And so let's just look at prayer. The word prayer, what does it mean? It means communication with God. And so, all right, makes perfect sense. I kind of understood that, kind of kind of can understand that, that it is with God. But also just kind of pause just for a little bit when you see that definition. You maybe write that down. You say communication with God. Let's just make it real practical. When I have communication with somebody, I talk to them. They listen. What happens after that? They communicate back to me. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to listen. And so the same exact thing happens with our relationship, our communication with God. We pray to him. We communicate to him. Then we sit there and we listen to what God's going to say in response. And I know this is where some people, they kind of tune out and they say, well, man, Mike, have you ever heard God say, hey, Mike, and then tell you what he wants you to do? I've never heard him audibly, but I can tell you that I've heard him in my soul. I can tell you that I've heard him in my heart by by somebody that's been in the church coming to me and say, hey, this is, uh, I want to encourage you to do this. God can speak to you that way. God speaks to me all the time through this right here. Okay? The, the scripture says in John chapter 1, uh, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this Word right here is God, and that Word can speak to us. And so God speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me through his church. He speaks to me through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to me through circumstances. And if you've taken um, experiencing God, a, a little thing happened, a, a course that, that Henry Blackaby did a long time ago, those are some principles that you learned in that particular uh, um, uh, material is that's how God speaks to us. And so that's what prayer is, is communication to God, us talking to him, us listening to his response back to us. This other word, let's talk, talk about just for a second, righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? Where it says a righteous man's prayer is powerful and effective. Righteous means the quality of being right in the eyes of God. I'm going, all right, what, is, what does that mean? How can I be right in the eyes of God? And so sometimes when you answer a question, another question develops. And so you just kind of you go down that trail until you have an answer that that you have a better understanding of what's going on. And so let's, let's do that. Let's kind of maybe they're in your study, you, you, you look up in the back of your Bible in the concordance, and you look up the word righteous, and then you start writing down some verses that have the word righteous in it. And so a couple of examples. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says that no one is righteous, not one. So I'm looking at this verse in James, and I said, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, but this verse over here in Romans chapter 3 says that nobody's righteous. How can a righteous man's prayer be powerful and effective if there's nobody, nobody's righteous? Well, that doesn't make sense. It seems to be a contradiction, so you would assume there has to be some more context. You have to assume that there has to be some more information that you need and so you continue on in your concordance, and maybe the next verse that pops up is Romans chapter 3, verse 22, where it says that righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. So now no one's righteous, but we can be righteous if we have faith in this guy named Jesus. Okay? Now, now it's starting to make a little more sense. As, as, a, as a Christian, I kind of have that basic understanding, but for somebody who, who's never studied that before, 
it may be that the image may be coming a little clearer to you. And then another verse that may see in your concordance is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. I'm talking about Jesus here, obviously. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ah, so now that, that little optometrist works it better, better, one, two, better, one, two, all those kind of things. This right here, verses can help ideas and concepts become clearer to us. And so this passage in Second Corinthians helps us understand that righteousness comes from placing our faith in Jesus and it comes from God. And there's this word that if you study this, you'll, you maybe read a commentary, you'll see an article that has this word called imputed. Sounds like a terrible word, but it actually it's, it's a fantastic word. And what that means is God kind of, when he sees us in all of our unrighteousness and all of our things that we think that are good, all of our good works, all of our tithe, all of our time that we donate to the to, to church or whatever it is that we think is good, Scripture, actually, there's a verse in, in, in Psalm 66 that says we, God considers all of our goodness as filthy rags. That it's just, it's not any good at all. And so Jesus understood that, died on a cross, and then he imputed his righteousness to us. So a visual, an image that you can maybe grab a hold of, is that when God sees us, he sees Jesus only because Jesus has imputed his righteousness, which is a robe an image that he's wrapped around us. And so God doesn't see our filthy rags, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so because when God sees me now, he sees Jesus, he sees his righteousness. And he tells me in this verse in James that my prayers, because I'm righteous, because I'm a believer, because I'm a follower of him, my prayers can be powerful and effective. And listen, if there's a great thing for you to hear today, it is that your prayers can be powerful and they can be effective. And so that's what I want you to hear, church. I want you to understand that I know sometimes it feels like our prayers are, are not making it past the ceiling, the sheetrock, maybe not even to the ceiling fan sometimes. But God's word tells us that if you pray, that if you are in faith, that you are in obedience to him, that your prayers are powerful and effective. And God is doing some things behind the scenes. God's doing some things overseas, over county lines over your the wall in your house to your kids' rooms or whatever it is, God's doing some things. Just trust him that, that when he says your prayers are effective and that they're powerful, that they are. And so what I want us to understand is that prayer is, has to be something that's part of our lives, not just the dear God bless his food, this Taco Bell. It's, it's, it has to be more than just blessing the food. It has to be an everyday First Thessalonians says it has to be a, a continual kind of process in our life that we need to be praying individually, families, parents, praying with your kids, over your kids, spouses, praying with your spouse, praying over your spouse. It's one of those things that has to be, should be part of our lives. And I know that for some of us, this whole prayer thing can be really uncomfortable because maybe we don't feel like that we're very eloquent. Maybe we don't feel like that it sounds real good, doesn't matter, okay? God knows what you, what's on your heart. He wants you to communicate with him. And so, parents, it's one of the beautiful things when, when you pray over your kids and then they, they mimic what they see. 
I heard somebody say a long time ago, things are, more things are caught than they are taught. And what that means is that kids catch a whole lot more because of what they see you doing. They see you reading this, they're going to say, hey, man, that must be important. They see you praying over your, their mom. They see you praying over their dad. They're going to see that that's important. And so it's important for us to understand that prayer has to be a vital part of our life. And so, all right, so get back to this, this studying God's word. And so you, you take this particular passage in, in James chapter 5. It's on page 1,021 in my Bible. It may not mean anything to you because yours is a different version, different page, but it's just a small section. And so you back up a little bit. You kind of get the 10,000-foot view of what, this, of what this passage means. All right, so it's this section in chapter 5 in the book of James. And so I have to back out a little bit and say, all right, what is James saying in his entire book here? What is, what is he saying in, in Chris has kind of already he covered this last week that James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, that he's dealing with the, the people that are being dispersed, the Christians are being persecuted. He starts out chapter one. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face various trials, kind of walks through that. And so he's dealing with a church that's going through a lot of mess. And so this is one little section in the midst of that. But so what I want you to understand is that there has to be a theme. There has to be a central focus that we can fine tune into in context to where this particular passage is. And I believe that it's in verse 22 in James chapter 1. And so this is really, really important for us to grab a hold of because if you don't catch anything else this morning, I want you to catch this. This verse in, in, in James chapter 1 verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If we come to church every Sunday morning and we get up and we sit in a pew or a chair and we listen to what Chris says, we listen to what Jonathan says, we listen to what I say or Kenny, whoever is up here sharing God's word for you, and then we walk out that back door, we get in our car and we drive home and we don't do anything with the word that we've been taught then it's not right. Then it's, it's defective. Scripture says that we deceive ourselves. Well, what do we deceive ourselves? How do we deceive ourselves? We think that we've done all that we need to do because we've checked the box of coming to church. And let me, let me tell you something, church, because you're the church. This building's not the church. You're the church. It has to be something that we are actively doing. We have to be living this out each and every day. And so then begs the question, well, what is... What is James 5, 13 through 20? What does it tell us that we are to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. And so that's why that's the, the, the whole gist of the message today is responding to verses 13 through 20 in James chapter 5. It says, what are we to do when it comes to pray? And what does what is, uh, um, verse 13 say? It says, is any one of you in trouble? What should he do? Is it still up there? No, it's not. It's, you should pray. How many of you have been in trouble before? All right, this is the participation por portion of the sermon. How many of you have been in trouble before? Okay, all right, very good. We can all raise our hands. i got to tell you a quick story. I was in trouble, believe it or not. I know, perfect guy. I was in trouble. Fifth grade, okay? I was in my third school in fifth grade. We were parents. We lived in Fort Worth. I was in two different schools in Fort Worth. Then we moved to the metropolis called Needville, Texas. That's right, what I'm talking about here. Jeremy's from, he's from Needville. We, we had the same math teacher 
Mr. Lair. Okay. Um, I digress. Sorry. Um, where was I going with that? All right. So I'm in trouble in fifth grade. Miss McCormick. I don't know if you had Miss McCormick or not. I did a. I had a terrible grade on a paper on a, on a test. And and when you get a terrible grade, apparently she went through the, the entire all the papers and found the worst grade and said. He's got to take it home, and guess what he has to do with that bad test grade? Mom or dad has to sign it to, to see that they know that I made a terrible grade. And I'm just going, please, God. I, I was so far behind because I had already, I'm using this in a, as an excuse, I guess. But I was so far behind that when I got this, this grade that I, was, I had no idea what was going on, so I had to take it home and get it to get it signed. And so I went home, wasn't a believer at the time, but I knew about God. And I said, God, please help me. Please help me. And he answered my prayer. My brother, my older brother came back into town and spent the night with us that night. And I had the grand idea. I said, mom, dad, can Jerry drive me to school this morning instead of y'all having to drive me? And my mom was going, well, yeah, that's a no brainer. He can drive you. Cool. And so we're in the drop-off line, and guess what I do? I reach into my backpack, pull out this terrible grade, and I said, hey, dude, I was supposed to get mom and dad to sign this. Um, would you mind signing this for me? He looks at me, he grabs a pen, he goes, I've been exactly where you're at. And he signed. <laughs> he signed it, and I put it back in the backpack. I walked into class, and I was going, thank you, God. Did God answer my prayer? Probably not. Uh, was it coincidence? Probably. Okay. But it was one of those things where script, I'm, I, was, I was being obedient to James 5 right here and didn't even know it. It says, if you're in trouble, pray. I was praying. Okay. There are times in our lives, seriously, just for a moment, there are times in our lives where we are in a pinch, that we are in a spot where we're in trouble. Maybe not legally in trouble, but I'm, physically we have an ailment that we, we're in trouble. Or in our marriage, we feel like there's some, there's some struggles that we're in trouble with our children, with our parents, whatever it is, that there are times in our lives that, that we're in trouble. And God's word is very clear to us. He says, pray. Pray. Talk to me. Let me know what's going on. God already knows, but it's one of those things for you to verbalize what's going on in your life for him to, because I don't think it does anything for God. I think it does something for us. Because we not only do we verbalize it, but then we hear what we're verbalizing and we own it. We understand that there's something greater out there who can help us than what, we're, what we've already done or what we feel like that we can do. And so God's word is very clear. If you want to have a powerful prayer life, it seems kind of an obvious kind of thing here, is you've got to pray. It has to be part of our life. You have to communicate with God. Second thing that I want you to see that I think Scripture says or shows us in, in this passage. Well, before I get there, hang on. Um, there's, a, there's a book I read back in college. It's called Why Revival Terries. If you can get your hands on it, one of the most influential books of my life. Obviously, it was something I read when I was 19 years old, and I still have that copy. Uh, I still read it. It's on my bedside. It's not on my bedside table. It's on my bedside floor. Uh, I have like 30 books um, that I'm supposed to be reading. I was challenged this year to read a bunch of books, and I'm way behind but it's there. I've read that one already. But in chapter 3, he has, Leonard Ravenhill, has this chapter on prayer. And this is how that chapter starts out. It says, prayer is profoundly simple and simply profound. 
it's not rocket science to pray. We communicate with each other every single day. God wants us to communicate with him. And so let's make sure that prayer is a, is a part of our life. First, First Thessalonians chapter 5, 17 says that we're to pray without ceasing, pray continually, whatever your, your version says. It has to be part of our lives. Second thing I think this passage says is that we're to, to praise and thank God for those areas in our life that cause us happiness. There in verse, verse 13 says, Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Just like when we're in trouble, our initial response is to pray to God, to, to ask for whatever we need in that particular situation. I, I believe with all my heart that our immediate response when things are going well are to send some praises up to God, saying, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my career. My Whatever it is, thank you that I didn't get that promotion or that I did get that promotion. Whatever it is, those simple little thank you guys, I believe, go a long way. And for our, for our kids, as parents, it's beautiful for them to be able to hear what God, how God has blessed you because And there's a society today that feels like things need to be handed to them. It's a society today. And so whenever we are blessed, God has has granted favor in our lives. We need to make sure that we're pointing to our kids where that blessing came from, where that that opportunity came from, and that's from the Lord. And so when, when... Prayer is part of our life as far as praying to, praying to him, but praising God through prayers as well, being grateful for the things that he's blessed us with, uh, and appreciating uh, all the blessings. Number three is uh, I believe that this, the scripture here tells us that, that we need to make sure that our hearts are humble. That there, there needs to be humility in our life. You can say, well, well, where does it say anything about humility in this passage as far as prayer goes? Well, I'm, in, in verse 14... It says, is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. So what does that have to do with humility? Well, most of us, and guys, just for a second, I believe this is something that we struggle with a lot, is we have a hard time asking for help. We have a hard time admitting that we, that we need somebody to come in to give us some guidance, to be able to, to give us some direction. Uh, there's, some, there's three words that I think that are detrimental that guys use all the time when it comes into situations, and it's, I got this. Okay? I don't need anybody else's help. I don't need any advice. I don't need any whatever. And so we stand back, and before too long, we find out that there is a mountain that, that's just, at once was a molehill. And so we have to make sure that we have people in our life that we can go to and say, hey, listen, I need some help. The passage here says if, I'm, if a person is sick, they need to be humble enough to be able to reach out to the leadership of the church, the elders of the church, and say, hey, would you pray over me? And, and there's some the, theologians that kind of debate, is this, a, is this a physical illness or is this a, is this a spiritual illness? Is this something that's, that's going on in their life where they need forgiveness? They need reconciliation because that passage goes on at the end of that verse says, listen, their sins will be forgiven. It doesn't matter if it's a physical illness or it's a spiritual illness. We need to make sure that we have communication with each other, that we have community with each other, that we have people in our life that we can rely on. And so it's one of those things where, again, it's not a real popular thing. We, we, a lot of people hate asking for help, but, it, but it's essential because 
The church is created by God to meet each other's needs. Okay? I want you to hear that. The church is created for us to have relationship to be able to meet each other's needs. And we're going to see in just a second that it goes a lot deeper than just meeting the needs of each other. It goes into, I need to make sure that I'm confessing my sin to, to people in, in the church because there's a, there's a benefit for that. But we have to, to recognize that, that we have to remain humble because we can't do this on our own. There are no such things as Lone, Lone Ranger Christians. I said in the first service, people that are at home that, that can't physically get out, this is a wonderful opportunity for them to, to be able to participate in a service. But those that can and are just choosing to, to watch at home and not be part of this right here, sitting in these, in these seats, rubbing elbows with the people next to them, they're missing out on something. God created us for fellowship. God created us to be together as a, as a church. And so if you're able to be here, then you get here. If you can't, I completely understand. When we're out of town, it's a wonderful opportunity for us not to miss what's going on. Um, but if you can be here, make sure that, that you're here. And so not only are we supposed to pray to make sure that our, our prayer lives are, are powerful, not only are we to praise and thank God for those things in the midst of prayer and, and have humble hearts, the last thing I want you to see is that we have to stay or maybe even initially get connected to a Christ-centered community. I think that's critical in our prayer life. You're going, Mike, you're making some, some stretches here when it comes to, I don't see anything about praying and all this. Well, I'm, I'm going to show you. I, I think it's critical that we are connected to a Christ-centered community. There's lots of communities out here, folks, that aren't Christ-centered. There are different organizations. There are different clubs, all these kind of things that want to, to draw for your attention, that want your time. But I believe it's critical. And you say, well, man, this guy is the community pastor. He's talking about small groups. He's trying to get people plugged into all these, all these little homes. Maybe a little bit, yeah, because I think it's critical. I think it's important for us to, to make sure that we're in a small group with each other. But Scripture says that we're supposed to be in small group with each other, and that happens through church, happens through a Christ-centered community that are headed in the same direction, that are singular focused on making sure that God is honored in their lives. I had somebody tell me, about, probably I guess about nine months ago, I was talking with a gentleman, and, and he says he, he has a, a group of men that he, that he meets with, and he meets with them every two weeks. And on, they meet on a Wednesday. And on a Monday before they meet on Wednesday, he reaches out to them via text message. And he says, okay, the four W's. And he looks at me after he tells me, he says the four W's, and I'm going, okay, I give. What's, what, what are the four W's? Okay. And he says, my, the men in my group know that the first W is work. What's going on at work? How are things at work? How can I pray for you? Is there issues at work that I can be praying for? The second W is wives. How's your wife? Or how are y'all? How's your relationship? Are you struggling? Um, how can I be praying for you and, and, and your wife? The, the next one is the word. What are you studying? What? How much time are you spending in the word? What, what's your devotional life look like right now? And the last W is whatever else that you want to talk about, whatever else you need someone to, to be praying for. And so it's an opportunity for him to pour into his men that he's meeting with. It's also an opportunity for these men to know that he cares about them and open up to share what's going on in their lives. I haven't quite, I, I, my wife and I have, have driven down the road trying to think of four 
similar letters that start with another letter that have to deal with the women. We're thinking about H for husband or S for spouse or whatever, and we just can't do it. So the challenge is laid out. If you can come up with four, ladies, if you can come up with four words that all have the same letter, so maybe we can share that with our community groups, and I would greatly appreciate that. But it's important for us to recognize that that happens in community, happens in small groups where you feel comfortable enough to say, hey, Mike, man, this is what's going on at work, or this is what's going on with me and, and my wife back at the house, or this is what's going on. In my, in my devotional, I'm not doing the devotional. Man, I'm, I'm, I feel like it's the Sahara Desert and I'm dried up. I'm not spending time in the Word. Whatever, whatever's going on. Because then it gives us an opportunity to pray. It gives us an opportunity for me to go before the Father on your behalf, specifically on these particular areas. That's why it's important for us to have that relationship with folks that... They know what's going on in my life. I know what's going on in their lives. And this passage in 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. I mean, aren't you grateful that there's not a mic up here? And we start right here, and we have to come up and say, All right, church, my sins this week are boom, 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 boom. Anybody grateful other than me that we don't have to do that? Holy cow. Man. I guarantee you there'd be a lot of people viewing um, that, that clicked in on Sunday morning. Man, you're not going to believe what old Jimmy James did. All right. But I'm glad we don't have to do that. But it says that we can confess to each other. I can, I can admit to a, a brother of mine that, hey, I'm struggling in this area. And he can come and wrap his arms around me and say, hey, man, I've been there. I want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. And so there is a connection that happens in that type of environment. I want to share a story with you real quick about this very thing. Verse 19 and 20. We saw what it said there in verse 16. It is a refresher. Verses 19 and 20. It says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of of sins. Whenever I was preparing for this message, I had a friend of mine immediately pop back into my mind. His name is Terry. And he said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. It's going to maybe take a little bit to get there. I, uh, I was a, a freshman in college. It was the spring semester of uh, 1988, a million years ago. Some of you weren't even born yet, some of you were going, yeah, those were the 80s. I remember those. Good music days. And so I'm, I get a call from a high school friend, another high school friend, and he goes, hey, says, what you, what's going on in your life right now? You got a job? And I was going to school. I was living in, in Freeport, Texas, down on the coast. I was going to Brazosport Junior College. Had no idea what I was going to do in, in my life. I had no, I was just going to college, getting the basics out of the way. I got this buddy of mine called. His name was John. He said, hey, what are you doing? You working? I said, nah. He goes, I got a job for you. He goes, man, you can make all kinds of money. And I'm going, all kinds of money? Man, that sounds really good. I said, how much an hour? He says, $6. $6. And back then, back in the 1900s, $6 was a lot of money per hour. Okay? And so I drop out of college, Drop out of college to take a job making six bucks an hour in a chemical plant down on the coast. And he goes, he followed that question up with, he says, well, man, 
what, what do you think about getting an apartment together? I'm going, man, I'm an 18-year-old kid, get a job making all this money, and I get to move out of the house, get out from under mom and dad, have some freedom. Man, it sounds like a fabulous idea. So I move out of the house, move, in, move into an apartment in Lake Jackson. Obviously, church is out the window. I, I was I became a believer my junior year in high school and was living for the Lord. I felt like it was a, a very um, influential thing in my life. I was there every Sunday, mission trips, all that kind of stuff. So I get this call, these calls saying, hey, job, apartment. I stopped going to church. I move into in him. I call it, as my, my wife knows, it's the worst summer of my life is, what, is how I affectionately call this, this summer. That starts about end of March, first part of April. And so I move in with him, and then it's just, it's, it's terrible. There's partying. There's all kind of stuff that, that, that's going on. And, and surprisingly, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not lying, I'm in church, and I'm telling you, I'm confessing this to you. Um, God protected me even in the midst of that crazy summer. There were all kind of things that could have happened um, that didn't. But Terry comes back, and he comes into the picture, my friend Terry. And we're sitting in the apartment. I get a knock at the door. I open up the apartment door, and I immediately close it back to where there's about this much gap where he can just see this much of my face, and I can see him, and I can see some some friends of mine that we went to high school together that were believers, part of the same youth group. I see them behind him as well. And, and I shut the door because I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by what's on the coffee table right behind me, right behind the door, there is a pyramid of beer cans. Honestly, God's honest truth, I did not drink a single one. That's why I'm saying God protected me even in the midst of that. Didn't, wasn't drinking, wasn't doing any of that. But it was, I was embarrassed of where I was at. I was embarrassed because of the call on my life that I knew that God had, and I wasn't living that out. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't acting like a Christian at all. And, and he, I remember looking at his eyes, and, and he goes, man, I just, I miss you, and I love you, and I just want to come check on you. And I said, Terry, I love you too, man. I appreciate that. And I shut the door, had the hardest time going to sleep that night, thinking about all the things that I had experienced with him in the church world, Bible studies and Sunday school and mission trips and revivals and all those kind of things, even within a couple of years of me being saved. And that's not who I was at that particular time. All that being said is when I was, when I read this passage in verses 19 and 20, where it says that if you can turn someone who's wandered away from the truth and bring him back, you saved him from death. And covered a multitude of sins. About a week and a half later, two weeks later, I tell my roommate in the apartment, said, listen, I can't live here anymore, dude. It's not who I am. I got to go back home. I called mom and dad up. And I said, do you mind if I come back home? I, I think I've made a huge mistake. And mom said, absolutely, come back. We'll help you, whatever, whatever needs to happen. This week, I reached out to Terry on um, on on messenger and um i told him i said listen i got all emotional in the first service and i said i'm not going to do that in the second service <clears throat> but it's uh it's all right there um I, I messaged him and i said hey dude 
I don't know that I ever uh, said thanks for uh, for knocking on my door that night. And I said, I'm I'm preaching a message on Sunday about who you were from me. In in James chapter five, and he goes, "Wow, Mike, so that I appreciate you reaching out to me." He goes, "You're not going to believe what my devotional was on this morning." And he takes a picture of his devotional. And it's James chapter 5. I have no idea where my life would have gone if he hadn't knocked on the door. And so, church, when I say that prayer has to be part of a Christ-centered community, this is the example because you get to know people and you see them doing something that you know they shouldn't be doing, you can go to them and say, listen, I, that's not who you are, man. Like, that's not who you are. It's not how I know you. I know you're a child of God, and you don't need to be doing those things, and you need to come back home. That's what community is. That's what church is. When we see someone who has a need, and we're running to meet that need. We see someone who's making a mistake, we're running to them, not to judge them, but to love them, wrap our arms around them, and say, man, this is not who you are. You need to come back home. Terry, God used Terry to change my life. And I never told him thanks. And so when I sent him that this week, and he responded back, said, man, that means the world to me. My wife doesn't even know that story. I just, I just saved that to share that with, with you all this morning. But prayer is powerful. It changes lives, and when, if you're a child of the God, you have that garment of righteousness wrapped around you because Christ died on the cross for you, and you chose to accept him as your Lord and Savior. That's what God sees. He doesn't see all the, the dumb summers that we had, the dumb nights that we had, all the mistakes that we had. He sees the righteousness of Christ in your life, and he says here in verse 16, because of Christ's righteousness, when you pray, it's powerful and it's effective. And so, church, I want us to start acting like it's powerful and effective. I want us to start believing that our prayer life is powerful and effective. Parents, that you pray over your kids is powerful and effective. Husbands, you pray over your wife is powerful and effective. Grandparents, praying over your kids and your grandkids, it's powerful and effective. And Fayette County can change. The state of Texas can change. This nation can change. And this world can change because the prayers of righteous men and women are powerful and effective. You need to believe that. You need to believe that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for Terry's. I thank you for the people that, that came up in the minds of the people listening to this message this morning that ran to them, knocked on the door, loved them through some hard times, and brought them back in the direction towards you. So, Father, I thank you for that. I, I thank you, God, for a church family that can wrap their arms around each other to encourage, to pray for, to hold accountable. Father, right now, I just um, I thank you for prayer. I thank you for this ability to be able to communicate with you. Father, for us to, to lay our cares and concerns at your feet, for you to hear our prayers, for God, for us to sit still. Your, psalm, your word says in Psalms 4016 that we're to be still and know that you're a Lord. God, that for us to sit still and listen to how you would respond, that you would 
speak to our soul. We may not ever hear an audible voice, but Father God, you can speak to our soul and we can respond. Father, prayer has to be an active part of our lives. And when it is and we're obedient, Father, your word tells us and promises that it can be powerful and effective. Thank you, Father, for loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.